we announced our Series A probably at the at the perfect point. You know, we you know the market was turning and 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 we were well capitalized. You know, when the market turned. In in the case of an open banking payment, you would have to steal somebody's mobile phone, and then you would have to steal their access to that mobile phone, and then access to their mobile banking app. You know, you see pay by card, um, pay with PayPal, um, and you you will now start to see pay by bank. We could only go at the pace at which banks were being able to provide these APIs. My guest today is Brad Goodall, who is the CEO and founder of Banked. Banked is a global payments network. On the show today, Brad tells me how they brought in over 18 million in funding. We talk about marketing the brand to its audience, and we talk about growing Banked in the American market. I'm your host, Mark McDonough, and this is the UKTM podcast. Our sponsors of the show, Uncapped, believe it's crazy that for e-commerce businesses to fund growth through marketing, infantry or hiring, they have to sell equity to VCs, especially when they know they'll make that money back right away. Uncap solved that problem. Already helping over 500 businesses worldwide, they offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales, no dilution or loss of control. Founders simply apply online, receive a decision within 24 hours and make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Now let's get into the show. Brad, thank you for, for coming on the on the podcast. Um, I thought it might be be nice to start with your background because I believe this isn't your first startup. You you've had a couple of other companies beforehand, have you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I have. I have. I've had. I've, it's not my first rodeo, and and really good to be here, Mark. Thanks. Appreciate appreciate uh, catching up. Um, tell me about the other companies you've done because I just love to get an understanding for uh, uh, you know for what you've done as an entrepreneur before you got into to banked. Sure. Yeah. So I um I was involved in I was involved in startups really early on. Not my own. Um, I I'm from Australia and I was involved in it was probably more a scale up to be fair when I first joined it. Um, back when I it was the first job that I had. It was a it was a to be fair, it was a pretty. It was the pretty. It was the unsexy end of fintech. It was. Um, it was like consolidated reporting for financial planners. Um, but it was. It grew really quickly, and and then and then a and a big platform was built out of it. A big wealth management platform was built out of it, and and you know now that platform would be considered a piece of legacy technology that exists in a bank somewhere. So, so I was involved. I was involved in that, which gave me the sort of the hunger for, I guess, like fast growing businesses and and businesses that that kind of didn't know exactly where they were from from the sort of the time that I joined them. Um, yeah. And then I bounced around for a while. I had a few different sort of wacky kind of startups. I tried to start an e-commerce platform like in, I reckon, 2004, and that didn't really go anywhere. And then a T-shirt printing business with a mate that I don't think a single person bought a T-shirt office, so that, that clearly didn't go anywhere. <laughs> there you go. Um, and the then, old T-shirt um, printing business. There's been a few that have tried that. Yeah, yeah, it was. I think it was definitely more of a. We, we, we probably we probably drank more beers over the ideas about the sorts of things we were going to do than actually any work. Um, but then, you know, I got back to the thing that I did, which was was kind of technology and and in particular financial services technology um, in two thousand and uh, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, um, with some 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 people that had already started a business, some mates that had already started a business. And, um, and I was involved kind of very, very early on. And 
we were ba- I was basically involved, you know, in, in helping to grow it. I came on as kind of like the first, I guess, the first leader of the business, sort of CEO. They were consultants and, and you know, and we grew that business really quickly to about 50 or 60 consultants before, by the time I left. Um, and it was the first kind of thing that I got that gave me a, you know, what's a cash flow statement? You know, what does it mean to sell? What does it mean to, you know, be involved in like, you know, a, a sort of a fast growing business where you've got to kill, you know, and, and eat what you kill type thing and, and, and survive. And, and it was, and it was, it was a really kind of exciting time for me. I was sort of, I hadn't turned 30 yet. And so it was kind of a, um, it was a good time to be taking risks and things like that. Um, and it was, it was, again, it was, it was in a pretty, a pretty, a pretty sort of back end part of financial services, data migration, um, data migration business consulting. And then we, we built some technology at the same time. Um, and so that was kind of my first sort of foray into, I guess, being involved in a, um, in a business sort of a, in leading a business, um, and growing a business. And then, and then I left there, I left Australia, um, in 2014 to come to the UK. Um, and I was involved, just involved in the fintech industry, um, more at a kind of a, on the periphery, I was involved in a thing called level 39. Um, and I know what you're, yeah. Yeah. And so there were some amazing businesses. Revolut, um, were, were there in the very early days of, of the business. Um, and then oh, and you, then, you worked in Revolut in the early days, did you? No, I didn't work in Revolut. I just, I worked in, you know, level 39 was like an accelerator and, 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 gotcha. um, and and it was sort of almost like more of a shared office space, but it had a thematic which was which was fintech, um, and and so Revolut was based there, and so you saw like Revolut, Etoro was another one. You know, businesses just growing really quickly, and um, and just a lot of activity. And twenty fourteen was an amazing time for fintech in London. Um, and then at the end of twenty fifteen, I left there, and in twenty sixteen, I met. Um, uh, the ex CEO was the ex CEO at the time of Barclays, Anthony Jenkins, um, and we started a company together called Ten X, Ten X Future Technologies. Um, and so, again, you know, just being involved in a business at the very, very beginning, you know, coming up with an idea, getting funding, getting the first client, which was Virgin Money, um, and you know, starting a team from scratch and growing a team, um, you know, really quickly was, you know, it was, just a, it was a great experience to go through. Um, and so I was involved in that for the first two years of the business. And then I left there at the end of 2017, basically 2018 to start banked. Um, and I started banked with, um, a couple of people, um, my co-founder Neil, um, and co- uh, two other co-founders, Patrick and Ellie, that had also worked with me, um, at 10 X. Um, and so, and yeah, and so, and, and, you know, we're, we're hard at, hard at work with banked now. So where, where did the idea for banked come up because I know we'll get into the the story around reducing fraud um, when it comes to payments and, and and online. I'd love to know where the idea came from, and then if you had any figures on, like I know you, uh, banked are trying to reduce um, the fraud side of things massively, and I'm sure you've got some stats on what's actually happening out there. Um, but I'd love to hear where the idea came from first. Yeah, to be fair, it was actually it was it was you know fraud you know reduction of fraud was a was almost like a byproduct of the type of payment. The thing that the thing that banked um, the idea behind banked really was that when I was working at Ten um, X, we were working with uh, with Virgin Money um, at the time, and one of the things that they were really focused on was this sort of moment in time when a customer was making a buying decision um, and 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 the data that was derived from that buying decision, and it could be you know they were buying you know repeat types of products they were using different types of merchants um but you know sort of how could you help the customer you know that was virgin money's big thing still is their big thing you know how can how can you help that help the customer and 
and one of the things that um, so that 10x was a core banking platform, um, and one of the things that I hadn't had a lot of exposure to was payments. And and during that time, I started to just learn more about digital payments uh, and and you know what what sorts of experiences were happening for consumers and what sorts of experiences were happening for merchants. And and one of the problems with with a lot of um, uh, banking data um, is that it's 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 reasonably dumb you know you you might get a timestamp you might get an amount if you're lucky you'll get a, a reasonably decent vendor code that can trace back to the actual vendor um, but it's all sort of it's happened and then the bank is trying to derive information off the off the fact that it's happened and at the time open banking and PSD2 was just starting to come about and it was just being thought of and and it was starting to you know it got implemented in or started to get implemented in 2018 um but there was this window of time where you could actually build a business that was going to be involved in the moment when a consumer was making a payment um that's what I saw open banking for I saw it for sort of two things one was that in particular in Europe um because of compliance like PSD2 um banks were going to have to give you access to their infrastructure. So they were going to have to build API technology. They were going to have to build security that would allow them to have a relationship with a third party without going through procurement to give them access to infrastructure, things like their data, balances, and also importantly for banked, um, the ability to move money from a customer's account. And so there was this moment in time when, you know, this all this, you know, regulation was happening Things like faster payments or real-time payment rails were, were becoming a thing, not just in in the UK but across Europe and then and then across you know across different parts of the world now. And so it was almost like if you were going to build a business that was about trying to help a customer at the moment in time when they were making a buying decision, you probably needed to start thinking about what you were going to do with open banking, what you were going to do, you know, because that was the way to get access to that to that window of time. Um, I think we've gone on a journey over that period of time to work out that actually the infrastructure and the ability to to, to build a business that allows merchants and consumers and banks to safely move money, so reduce fraud is one thing, um, move money at the fastest possible time you can, so you know settle money quickly, you know reduce fees, you know um, that that was another byproduct of, of this type of payment. And I think as we're starting to see now, you know, what's the best consumer journey that can be built? Um, and that's a lot of, you know, all of those factors are the types of things that Banked, you know, um, has, has sort of has got its eye on the prize for in terms of how it wants to build a business now. We need to tick the box of all of those. Um, and I think, you know, back to your point or your question about stats, I think the thing to understand is that um, maybe maybe it's less a stat, but a, but a, but like, you know, how could you reduce fraud, I guess, is the question. And and what it's actually about you you look at fraud the other way around so with a with a card payment if i take if, if someone has their 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 credit card stolen um the there's a window of time that a, that somebody could use that credit card and take money out of it and so what happens is we've applied quite a heavy-handed approach to how the funds can be covered and where the liability sits and so it basically it's the merchant that then you know has to has to send the funds back even if they've sent the goods out because the customer can say well I didn't make that payment my card was stolen in in the case of an open banking payment you would have to steal somebody's mobile phone and then you would have to steal their access to that mobile phone and then access to their mobile banking app and so the barriers to 
creating that fraud is so high due to things like biometric technology and you know some of the things that are built into operating systems of mobile phones that the fraud is just significantly reduced you know for the at the consumer's end where you need to worry about fraud is you know merchants being um impersonated so you know i spin up a website for a brand that i'm that i'm not and then i say the customers will come and pay me um and so you've got to spend a lot of time focused on your onboarding for merchants and how you can how you can ensure that the merchant actually is the person that they say they are and that they're actually providing the level of service that they're saying they're going to provide to the customer and that they should be allowed to have this type of payment Am I right by saying even if a merchant was set up in an incorrect way, they won't get details if, well, look, you wouldn't be dealing with them anyway if it was banked. But, you know, one thing I like about banked is that it doesn't share and you don't have to share your details. Am I right? But can you explain a little bit more on, to, to me and the customer or the, the uh, listeners, I should say, and how banked actually works? Yeah, so a typical banked flow would be, um, and there's a couple of use cases. One use case might be for collections where, uh, you know, um, somebody is, you know, you would previously be asked to do a manual bank transfer. So, you know, um, I've had the service paid to me and I've had the service given to me and can you send me the money? And I don't accept credit cards, so can you send me a manual bank transfer? So one way that they could do that is they could send you a text message with a link that says, um, you know, um, make a payment to this to this provider the customer would press that link and then that would immediately give them a banking page to, 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 to choose their bank. Is it Monzo? Is it Barclays? Is it Lloyd's? As soon as they hit that button um, or that logo, they would then be op- that, that would immediately open their mobile banking app. And that mobile banking app, you would log in however you normally log in, so biometrically or with a PIN code, and then it would say, pay this merchant £100. And then you would say yes. And then you would be bounced back to say, you know, you've success, you successfully moved the money. And that could be the same. It could be a, it could be via a text message or it could be in an e-commerce checkout. You know, you see pay by card, um, pay with PayPal, um, and you, you will now start to see pay by bank. Um, and then the same sort of thing. If you're shopping online, you would be presented with a bank window and choose your bank and go and, and again be redirected through your mobile banking app. So there's no, I don't enter my 16 digit pin, uh, my 16 digit card number. Um, I'm not asked for any of those types of details. All of that is held between my bank and the merchant's bank who are talking to one another. Smart, really smart. And you'd wonder why something like, well, I don't know, is there anything like this out there already? Do you you have a number of competitors? There's a a few different people looking to provide this. I think think one of the things that is unique about Banked is that we've spent a lot of time, um, so there's, there's sort of two elements to it. One of them is that you need to connect to the banks. So you need to be able to go and connect up to each individual bank to be able to create a connection there so that you can move the money. Um, and there's lots of different players that are doing that. Banked does um, its own connections. We do direct connections with banks, and we also have um, third-party suppliers that, that also supply us with some of those connections. The other part of the business um, or the other part of the product is that you need to pre- be able to provide the best consumer experience so that a customer who's introduced to this for the first time is actually going to go through the payment flow. So the customer is, you know, if you you won't have seen very often where you press a button for Barclays and it immediately opens your Barclays mobile banking app, and so you have to you know introduce that for first time users in an intuitive way. And some of the things that Bank does about that is we we spend a lot of time optimizing for the checkout, and so we we, we want to create the best consumer checkout flow we can. 
Um, but, um, you know, other things that we've done, we did a deal with British Airways so that you can offer Avios points at checkout. Um, we do, we have various levels of loyalty and incentivization so that um, a merchant can say, if you pay by bank, we can provide you this type of loyalty function. Um, and therefore, you know, we won't provide that to you if you're using card um, because we want you to do pay by bank because it's safer. And in some, in, in, in a lot of circumstances, it's cheaper for the merchant. So, you know, those are the two parts, the core parts of the product. The other, the third part, and a really important part and probably unique to Banked is that you've then got to really try and define your go-to-market strategy. So are you going to go out to merchants directly? Are you going to have a consumer relationship? Or in the case of Banked, we we actually partner with banks. Um, we partner with payment providers um, who, who have those merchant relationships themselves. So a, a customer doesn't, a, an end consumer doesn't have a relationship with Banked. We just facilitate, you know, that infrastructure and 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 provide those um, those user flows. Um, but then the merchant relationship is also held with our partners. And so our our, you know, we're a, we're an infrastructure provider, and so we have to have the best developer experience. We have to have, you know, the most intuitive um, way to do integrations. We have to have the, you know, we have to have enterprise level security and all of the sorts of things that you would expect if we're going to work with tier one banks and, you know, payment service providers. Am I right by saying that this would have had a bit of an effect on your growth at the beginning because you'd have only been able to provide this service based on banks that you are working with? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been an interesting, you know, it's 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 four years now that we've been doing, the, you know, we've been at this business and and that I think is is something that, it's been a really interesting four years. I think when this when this service first came out, the first APIs that were available that you could connect to with banks. So the first thing we had to do was go and get regulated. So to get regulated by the FCA, and that's a process in and of itself. Then we have to go and connect to the banks. And by getting regulated, we don't actually need the bank's permission to connect to them. We have to, you know, there's a set of standards that we have to be able to pass and we have to go through. But but we, we go and then... Um, connect up into those banks. And so we, there's a job to be done there. And at the very start, you know, those APIs just, they weren't very good. And they weren't, they weren't good both at a, um, you know, an uptime level, but they also weren't great in terms of the consumer experience that was being received once the customer went into their bank. And so we sort of, we could only go at the pace at which banks were being able to provide these APIs. Then it got better, um, you know, I'd say 20, end of 2019, 2020. And then, of course, you know, things like COVID happen and, you know, you sort of try and work out, well, what does that do for your business model? And look bluntly, it's probably the best thing that ever happened for both open banking and payments in general, right? I think, you know, online payments became, you know, significantly greater. Um, but also, you know, QR codes that weren't very popular pre-COVID in in lots of countries and especially in places like the UK, all of a sudden everyone was using a QR code. Yeah, so, made a comeback. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and so there were some things inside of the business model that that sort of that we were able to adapt to really quickly. And we and and you know, and and I think other parts as well. You know, remote. We were remote as a, we were a remote business um, already, but we really gripped remote. And 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 as we scaled and grew the number of you know staff, we were able to we were able to do it in a way that was that was very remote friendly, and we were able to put a lot of effort and energy into that. That I think is put us in a position today that you know we really take advantage of 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 actually both remote and you know in person you know so i'm um 
you know, we've, we've got an office in, in Hoburn in London um, and, you know, we get people in here. We've flown some people over that we've got that are based in the US. Um, so they're all out here this week. And so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, yeah, you, you know, in answer to your question, yes, there were there were there were some things that um, that meant that we could only go at a certain pace. But at the same time, when things started to accelerate, I think that our business was really ready for that. Um, and so we, we kind of benefited from, um, you know, from almost the thinking time that I think, you know, that I think some of the 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 banks sort of being slow gave us, but also, you know, just when everyone was in the thick of COVID and, and you know, stuck at home and, you know, trying to work out like, how are we going to come out of this? There were lots of positives coming our way, which meant that the momentum kind of built up and, and we were able to come out quite positively ourselves. You've recently gone through um, a Series A round uh, where you were in February, I think it was, where you raised uh, 15 million. And, and obviously before that, you'd raised a 1.5 million round and a 2.4 million round. And you've brought in a total about 18.9 million in funding. Um, interesting with, with some of the investors that you've brought on board. Am I right by saying one of the, I, I think, I don't know what round it was from, but uh, one, of the, one of the investors has a background in PayPal. Um, which must have brought some valuable information and experience to, to you and the team. A quick sponsor reminder. If you're looking to fund growth without having to give away equity, Uncap solved this problem. To find out more, go to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with us is that we 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 believe in strategic investment. So Bank of America led our Series A. Um, bank of America is a tier one bank in the US. Um, they have amazing merchant relationships globally. Um, they have a treasury um, uh, set of treasury relationships um, globally with very large merchants. And you know, they we we launched Pay by Bank um, the the product um, in its sort of fidelity. At, a, at an enterprise level with Bank of America, and so and that and that kind of gave us um, the 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 understanding that that it's going to take time to really build this out. We've got a very big ambition. We're trying to take payment flow away from traditional rails, whether they be credit card rails or manual bank transfers, um, and so and so by virtue of that fact, we we need to have lots of different parts of the business that are completely buttoned up, you know, security needs to be, you know, enterprise grade. Um, we need to be able to have the seniority um, uh, in the business to be able to sell to large merchants um, and large tier one banks. Um, we need to be able to um, have an empathy for very big partners and incumbents. You know, we believe that incumbents are, um, are an important part of our network. And so we need to understand how to work with them, whether it's regulatory security um, or just the pace of change, you know, it's within their organization. Our sales cycles are long. Um, we aren't sort of built for selling into small sort of one person bands and then kind of waiting for them to grow. We're looking to try and, um, you know, sell into our product into distributors who do who distribute into tier one merchants, um, and so and so a lot of a lot of our, our our fundraising has been targeted at people that have um, an appetite for long term growth, um, uh, investors that have an interest in you know how you know sort of monopoly type businesses can be built out. You know, there's I think that 
the, the fact about this business is there's quite a lot of players in Europe um, uh, that are that are in this space, and I think it's it's getting it's getting you know there's, there's more and more players globally, but there are going to be a handful of players that are going to really do this well on a global scale, and so you know it's going to take time and you're going to need partners. And so therefore you're going to need investors with that type of appetite. And so that's a combination of strategics. And we have a couple of strategics already as investors. Um, and it's also going to be, um, it's going to be investors that sort of have the foresight of, of dealing with kind of large regulated entities. Um, so it's not, it's not your sort of traditional sort of VC SaaS metrics where you're just waiting for, you know, payment flow, API calls, number of developers. It's, 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 it's much more about the sorts of partnerships you can build and then the real conversion rates and opportunity for, for, for behavioral change at a checkout level um, that, you're, that you're trying to go after. What was Bank of America's um, response to, to Banked? Like, because obviously, what what you're trying to do, were they quite open to it? Did they see the opportunity and, and, and pounce on it, or did it take a little bit of convincing on the opportunity? I just just be interesting to get it from a bank's perspective. Yeah, I mean, the thing about strategics and, and certainly banks in particular, um, most majority of banks, if they're going to invest, it, they're going to want to have a business case first. They're not they're not going to want to invest for the purposes of you know making. Financial terms certainly not at, certainly not at our stage, not at a Series A stage. So, so we had to convince them of the fact that a we were the best player to provide a solution to them, um, and you know because we weren't the only ones. Um, we also had to work with them to come up with a n- unique proposition in the market, so that they were able to then see this as you know something that could be revenue generative. You know, in in my previous business, core banking, core banking is considered a cost center at banks. Um, Whereas this type of product is more of a revenue generator, and so they're they're very different types of sales, um, and so you have to prove that, that this could be a you know a, a true revenue generator, um, and then I think when you get through all those hurdles, you then get okay great so there's a business case here we think you're the right provider now you got to go through procurement then you got to go through infosec and you got to get all the way yeah. deep into the business then we've got to be able to build a product together. And then we can start having some conversations about investment. And, you know, it wasn't to say that we hadn't had any investment discussions, you know, early on, you know, we were, that was one of the good things about their team was that they tracked. um, And, you know, the, 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 the banks that I think do investment really well are the ones that track business case, you know, at an early phase. um, And you can kind of run almost like investment in parallel. Um, But it was only once you got through all of that, that you were then able to sort of see the returns on, you know, at at the investment level. And, you know, it was slightly different. Bank of America were the first bank that we were going to be working with. So, um, so yeah, so, so I think, you know, it wasn't that there was a lot of convincing to do, but, um, but at the same time, you know, I think, as I said, that's, that's part of the size of the prize. And so therefore I think, you know, you, you, yeah. you sign up for that, for that sales cycle. So what, what was the length it took from, from initial contact to, to signing the dotted line? I think, you know, I think we, we probably wouldn't have got much change out of about 18 months. I don't think, um, but right, to be okay. fair at the end of that 18 months, what you, you know, what you had was, a working product you know you didn't just have like a you know a, a, an intent and an investment in you know, like a business intent and an investment intent you had you had a working product um, and that won't always be the case for every type of deal that you do um, at you know even at a bank level or at a strategic level um, but I think certainly for the first one um, to be able to really prove that out you know that that's that's where you know it's going to take the real it's going to take the length of time 
Well, I suppose on on the back of your mind the whole time was that your plan was to um, eventually scale in the US and what a, an investment partner to have on board than, than Bank of America. So have you scaled or, uh, to the US already or is that still on the roadmap to do? It's all in process at the moment. So we've hired people in the US. We're building product in the US right now. We're looking to launch product in the US um, by Q4 of this year. Um, so I think we've, you know, we've been quite, we've been, been quite aggressive about, you know, about the work that we're doing out there, and we've been quite vocal about the fact that, you know, the US is a very big, um, you know, strategic importantly, you know, is, is, yeah. is a strategic importance for us. And you, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, I think when you're starting out, um, uh, you know, any type of startup, you're going to it's all just a series of bets, right? You, you, you're at the riskiest at the very, very early phase of the business. Um, and, you know, this this particular um, type of startup, you know, the, the total addressable market is not the problem. You know, commerce and payments is just a huge total addressable market. Competition is really, really, like, hot. Um, so so that's, you know, unlike some other industries that you know, comp- you've, you've, you've got a lot of competition. Um, I think... You've got to have a really unique go-to-market proposition, um, especially given that this is a new behavior for consumers um, and a new type of product that merchants are, you know, all, all the all the reasons in the world a merchant wants to, to use it for. It's faster settlement, it's lower fraud, and it's lower fees. But you know, the, the thing that's unproven is the consumer traction. And so and so that. So, but you know, early days, it's it's all just a, a set of bets that you're placing. And I think, you know, we 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 really looked at our go-to-market when when COVID hit. Um, we wanted to really understand how we were going to come out of all of this. If we were going to use this sort of almost like once in a generation sort of moment um, to, to be able to kind of build something um, and, and take advantage of the time that we were kind of afforded, um, you know, now was the time to do it. And, and I think, you know, we we then, you know, double down on on the on the enterprise play on the on the strategic play and yeah i mean look it, it's it's paid off you know and 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 is paying off and i think that um you know there are others out there with different models to us and you know some of them are having you know um having good traction in that in those areas too how how do you go about starting when it comes to scaling in the u.s because lots of the time when i've been speaking to the majority of entrepreneurs when it comes to to branching out in, in the US market, which a lot of companies want to do, they all get hit with the how expensive it's going to be. You know, you're used to say the UK market, what you're doing in the UK, plenty of competition here, you know, depending on your company. And then the US can be a completely different kettle of fish. And a lot of brands and, and, and entrepreneurs underestimate how much it's actually going to cost them. Like, have you, have you come up against hurdles i'm sure you have come up against hurdles that you just weren't expecting that kind of knocked you for for six i think i think that's why a partnership-led strategy is so important you know i think we wouldn't be able to do it without without the partnership focus that we have um and it, you know and we, we we obviously talk to we talk to lots of partners and we have, we have a number of partners that that we have lined up um i think you've got to go in You've definitely got to go in with your eyes wide open. You've got to be able to have a sound fundraising strategy. You've got to be able to have the type of capability in your organization that obviously has a big ambition, but is also very prepared to, um, I wouldn't say pivot, but 
but certainly, you know, as new information comes, react to that information. Um, I think we're slightly different in the sense that what we're trying to build or what we are building is infrastructure. And so there are a set of standards that we can apply regardless of the market, you know, connecting to an API um, whilst there are very, very different, you know, types of, um, you know, technical tasks to go and do, we largely can control the way in which we, you know, have it inside of our platform. Um, and so when we think about it, we think about the fact that we'll have to connect to many different standards. Some of them are, you know, are based in, um, you know, pounds and some of them are in euros and some of them will be in dollars and some of them will be um, instant settlement. Some of them will be batch settlement. So we've got to think about all of those things when we design, a, you know, when we design a platform. Um, so that's, that's the, that, that would be one thing is like thinking about on a technical level. So, but a lot of those are infrastructure related problems that some of the things that I've seen where costs have exploded and, um, and, uh, and where, you know, entrepreneurs are underestimated tends to be around that kind of consumer angle and, you know, a totally different type of behavior from one market to another, completely different marketing approaches and marketing costs. And I think there's just some of that stuff we just don't have inside of the business. I don't think we could be as ambitious if we were trying to take consumers with us in every single market. It's not to yeah. say that we don't have a consumer approach and certainly the consumer ways that people pay, you know, we spend we have a whole you know team of people that look at how does a consumer pay in Germany? How does a consumer pay in the US? How does a consumer pay in France? Um, and, and, and those things will, will often differ. Um, but I think it, it's, it's very different to we've got a relationship with it. We've got to build a relation with the consumer in every single market. I think that's, you know, that's where I think that, that, that there are certainly things that, that would inherently be more expensive, you know, in, in those businesses than ours. Is, is something like this welcomed with open hands or open arms, I should say, because there is so much fraud out there at the moment that anything that can stamp this out or help stamp it out is surely jumped upon because it's not just the consumer that suffers when when something happens it's also the brand that suffers as well so are brands you know welcoming this welcoming banked in i think i think what you have is um merchants that so so it's fraud and fees are the two big drivers for merchants so if you can say to a merchant, I can reduce the fraud that you will receive. So, you know, things like chargeback risk that exists inside of a payment from merchant today, I can reduce that. I can also reduce the fees um, that you pay. What you get is, um, a, you know, a, an attentive um, uh, stakeholder. You get someone who's like, okay, right, I'm listening, right? Tell me, tell me now how you're going to do that. Um, and, you know, there's, it, it's not, it's not snake oil. So you can't, you know, you can't just like, that, that can't just be the promise and then you can turn it on. And there are lots of, um, there are lots of challenges in different markets um, that you go into. And there are challenges technically in the US that are very, very different to the challenges that we have in in, in the UK and in Europe. Um, so I think, you know, I think that the, that what, but what you do have is you do have a willing um, merchant that you can go and have a conversation with and define a set of problem statements with them and then go away and design a solution that then you know will um, will will sort of be welcomed with open arms. And so our kind of job is to have a lot of conversations with lots of merchants in different in different countries and you know um, uh, in different use cases, and then build products that our, that our partners can then go and distribute to those merchants. And I think that's where um, 
that's where, like you say, you know, you, you are sort of being in some respects welcomed with open arms because you're saying, I'm going to reduce your fees, I'm going to reduce fraud. Um, the net, there's a, there's a big, you know, and how um, that comes after yeah. that. And, and that's what you've got to sort of go on a journey to, to, to go and, you know, and, and answer quite quickly. How are you getting these people's attention? I'd, lo- I'd love to know how you're marketing the brand. Yeah, a lot of a lot of at the moment, a lot of what we've done is is use um, we've we've hired some some quite um, some quite senior people inside of our sales team um, that have had merchant relationships. We've leveraged um, we've leveraged the banks themselves um, that are obviously having conversations with their own you know with merchants they already have an existing relationship with. Um, you know, we've we've done a little bit of marketing, but that marketing has kind of either been sort of almost like I don't like to say thought leadership, but we you know we've sort of been in you know different places where merchants will be you know will be either reading up this type of information and looking for you know looking for what's new and what's emerging. Um, yeah. You know, we don't you know we have a social media presence, but a lot of that is largely for employees. It's um, you know and, and trying to attract the best talent, um, and and you know also trying to obviously look at you know where our partners are at. Um, but our, but I'll be honest, our, our marketing spend is 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 not high. Um, you know, a lot of this right now is still kind of boots on the ground, lots of conversations with merchants, uh, with with partners, um, and really trying to ride the wave of payments. Is you know, online payments have, have exploded, therefore cost of sales have exploded, um, and so there are some problems to solve there, and we could be a solution to some of those some of those problems. You had mentioned that like you were a, a remote company before COVID and, you know, COVID really helped your business excel. What has the pain points been, if any, you know, when it comes to, to growing a team? Because last time I checked, and I could be wrong, uh, there was about 65 employees. Um, so, like, how, how have you been growing? And especially now with with the U.S., um, I take it, as you mentioned earlier, you're hiring a lot of people in the US in the US now as well. So how has growth been going for you? I mean, in terms of employee growth, you know, we've we've been very lucky in the sense that um, it's it's quite a hot space. And so, you know, there's that, you know, we've 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 fundraised at the right time. We've we've had some good fundraising announcements out there. And I think that, you know, when when you're hiring talent, um, people want to know that you're well capitalized. Um, I think we've we've sort of bent over backwards to try and build a culture and and apply attention to a culture that is is inclusive. Because I think one of the things about remote is if you're not bumping into people at the water cooler, then you've got to be able to create something where people feel safe online. People feel like there's enough touch points; they can have enough conversations. That that communication is transparent. Um, so I think, you know, we've spent a lot of time trying to, trying to take employees on a journey, I guess, or or even just go on a journey collectively as a group. I think that's one of the things that I, one of the good things about remote for for our business was it just got, it was a light switch. It got flicked, right. And, and, you know, you either, you were either ready for it, embraced it, um, or, you know, you kind of had to react to it. And I think, and I think we were sort of ready and embraced it. Um, I think, you know, look, I, I wouldn't say that, look, it's like talent. It's expensive for sure. Like at the moment, I think for startups, I think there are, you know, and we are seeing the market turn a little bit at the moment. Not so much in terms of like cost of salaries, but more, you know, there's obviously there's people being let go from companies. You know, people as as businesses have had to react to the new funding environment, um, and so I think, you know, I think you've got to, you 
you've got to be able to reiterate things like security um and and but at the same time you know we aren't in a market yet where everybody's like you know oh well I, i'm not expecting the salary that i was on before even if i was let go so you know i think there's you know we're, we're trying to grow steadily um you know we certainly have competitors that have got you know a couple hundred more employees than what we have um but i think what we've tried to do is hire probably more senior talent but then keep our numbers controllable um you know whilst we go after some more of the technical type problems that we're solving for at the moment what are your numbers at the moment how many are on the team so I think we have about um, we're just shy of 70 now, I think. And I think we've got something like 15 open positions at the moment. So I, I would expect us to, you know, I'd expect us to be approaching, you know, um, probably 100 people by by the end of the year or this time next year. Like it, it's big growth. And like this is one thing that a lot of uh, people tend to not factor into the part of their growth is how much time hiring can can take you and how much time they bring on the right person or the right people can take you and finding them and onboarding them and you know by the time they're actually up and running and been able to do what you need them to do it can be months down the road you know so it's always something that's difficult I, i definitely agree with that i mean i think i think we've been really lucky in that we've you know we've gotten some exceptional talent into our team um you know we've also We've also gone through a bit of a transition period as well, and people have had to kind of, you know, start again almost, you know, um, and 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 um, and kind of get the the fire to get to get going. I think you know we we announced our Series A probably at the at the perfect point. You know, we you know the market was turning, and and we, and we were well capitalized. You know, when the market turned, um, so I think you know for me the. The, the sort of speed up of the employees, you know, we put a lot of effort into onboarding. We, you know, we've got a, um, a great head of people that we've got in. She's probably the, one of the busiest people in the team at the moment. Um, I think we also have some great, you know, sort of, you know, leads in our team that are also sort of like, they're kind of like sleeves up when it comes to, when it comes to recruitment, you know, could we make decisions faster? Yes. You know, you still, I'm still in that. I'm still myself in that world of like, you know, we don't have, we don't have, you know, hundreds of millions. We don't have, you know, um, you know, we're, we're we're still trying to grow at, at a controllable pace. Um, but I think we, I think we try to be pretty clear through the process, and I think that that helps because I think when if you can get somebody that hits the ground running, you know, kind of clear about what they're supposed to do, and we don't get it right every single time. I won't say that for sure. You know, we've certainly had some people that have come in and been and gone, oh, wow, I didn't know it was like this. And, you know, but but they themselves have then reacted quite quickly. And and I think that's, you know, we obviously are doing something right because um, even when we haven't been clear about, you know, whether it was the role or the state of the team or whatever that someone was coming into, they've then hit the ground running because of maybe the onboarding process that we had or, you know, the team camaraderie that they've sort of walked into. Brad, it's been a pleasure and, you know, I could talk to you for a lot longer and I'm really looking forward to, I'm going to have you back on the show down the road because I'd love to hear more about how the, how the American expansion went. Um, I'm going to hit you with the book question and this is a question I ask all my guests is what book have you read as an entrepreneur that has had the biggest impact on either the business or you personally? Um, I read a book um, called Creativity Inc., which is about the Pixar, um, the Pixar journey, um, which um, I, I'm a big Steve Jobs fan. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of Steve Jobs in that book. Um, but one of the things it talks about in there is a is a concept called the brain trust, which is you know a, 
a kind of core group of people that sit inside of the business. Um, and, you know, it might be the leadership team or it might just be, you know, a group of people that, that you've kind of sort of built around um, being able to, um, I guess, make decisions or, or, or even as a leader, just draw, draw influence from. Um, and, and yeah, I think, you know, they, the, the, there's, you know, there's some, some really interesting concepts when you apply sort of storytelling to, to business. And I think that, 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 that book for me certainly helped me to understand a little bit better around just the concept of businesses don't have to be, you know, you don't have to take technology businesses or startups. They don't. They don't all have to be from the same book. You know, I've read the hard thing about hard things. I've read zero to one. You know, I I, I like to read a lot. Um, but for me, Creativity Inc. was a really was a really um, yeah, a really a really helpful sort of story from just just you know reading about that journey and different ways that 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 business was led and the people that led it. Thank you for listening. Before you go, could you please take a moment to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast? I'd really appreciate the support. And remember, our sponsor Uncapped offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales. No dilution or loss of control. Apply online. Decision within 24 hours. Make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, Use the code UKTN10, that's UKTN10.